Mark chapter 12, verse 41. That's where we'll start this morning here in a moment. While you're turning there, I want you to engage your imaginations with me. Let's imagine that we are not in a sanctuary right now, but instead this is a courtroom. And we've got a goal in this courtroom proceeding. That goal is that we want to get to the bottom of your character. We're going to call witnesses to the stand to testify about the kind of person you really are. First on the stand are your parents. We call them up and we swear them in. And your dad is obviously wearing a shirt that your mom picked out for him. And we ask of your parents, tell us about your child. What is your child's character like? And your mom would use words like smart and funny and beautiful and thoughtful and athletic. And then it would be your dad's turn. And he would start to talk and then he would get choked up. And a single tear would roll down his cheek. And he'd say, don't tell her I cried. And then your mom would start crying too because your dad's crying. And we'd be done with those witnesses and get them off the stand. Next witness on your behalf is your dog. We call your dog to the stand, swear your dog in. And we say, dog, tell us about your human. What is this person really like? Your dog would pull out some previously prepared notes. Put on a pair of reading glasses. Rub his chin very thoughtfully. Clear his throat. And then you would see a squirrel and he'd be gone. Out of there. No use to us whatsoever. Final witness. We would call your money to the stand. All right. Money. What can you tell us about this individual? And your money would have stories to tell. It might say, you know, I can't say a lot because as soon as he has me, I'm gone. <laughs> I land in the bank account and then I go to a cash register somewhere. Uh, I don't, and, and you know what? I, I don't get spent on things that are most important. And truth be told, even when I'm gone, the spending doesn't stop. You ought to call up old credit card bill when you're done with me. He's got some stories to tell. Or the money might tell a different story. It might say, oh, this guy is so stingy. One time, he gave a Salvation Army bell ringer a dollar and asked for three quarters back. That's how stingy this guy is with his money. You see, our, our money talks. It has a story to tell about us. It has a story to tell about our trust in God. Our money might call us names. It can call us wise or it can call us foolish. It can call us generous or it can call us miserly. Our money can give a spiritual diagnosis. It can diagnose us as mature or immature, obedient or disobedient in our walk with the Lord. And this morning... Money is going to give a spiritual diagnosis of some rich people in our story, as well as a spiritual diagnosis of a poor widow. And today, we're going to use the story of the widow's offering to teach us how to tithe as an expression of love for Jesus. 
We've been in this very brief series called A Generous Life. We've talked about how generosity is the natural overflow of those who've experienced the grace of God. We've talked about uh, the motives behind our giving as it pertains to moving the mission of the church forward. Today, we're going to talk head on about the matter of tithing. Now, a couple of important disclaimers. Disclaimer number one is this. We have so many different and passionate views on this issue it's it's an easy landmine for sure and so there is a chance that you may disagree with something i say or with everything i say today and if that happens i want you to understand my posture i welcome a phone call an email a conversation not to debate but so that i can listen and we can dialogue and we can express our love for each other, even in our disagreement. So if there's, a, if there's a pressure point here or someplace where you feel like I just totally get it wrong, don't hesitate to contact me this week. I would love to talk about it. Second disclaimer is this. I don't know that I've ever sat under a sermon on tithing and walked away with my soul lifted on high. And sometimes that's been because of the condition of my heart. Sometimes, I would even say many times, it's, it's been because of the way the message was delivered. I was in a service once where a pastor equated people's illnesses and misfortunes as possible signs that they've been robbing God by not tithing. It was disgusting. So I feel it's important for you to know that we're not addressing this issue today because I want something from you. In fact, just the opposite, I want something for you. When we as believers and when we as a church leverage our resources for the sake of the kingdom of God, the the results are things like joy and wisdom and holiness and worship and so many more blessings. We address this issue today because there are blessings for God's people who walk in obedience here. And that's what happens with the poor widow in our passage today. She teaches us how giving is a reflection of of our love for God. So here's the setting in Mark chapter 12. Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem, and he is at the temple. And you know how important the temple is to Jewish life. It is the center of the universe. Now, there are many different synagogues. There's only one temple. And that temple is a big deal. Jesus is in the temple. The temple is set up so that it essentially has concentric circles of access, If you're a Gentile, you can walk freely in this one specific court. If you are Jewish, male or female, you can walk in this inner court. If you're a Jewish male, you can go even closer to the center and and so on. So we find Jesus in a specific place in the temple. He's in a place called the Court of Women. And the Court of Women was that area where Jewish men and women could walk freely and go in and out of. Also, we know from history that in the court of women were 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles that were set up so that people could deposit their monetary tithes to the temple. So how did first century, a first-century Jew give their tithe to the temple? Uh, in this instance, it wasn't by passing a plate. It was by going to one of these 13 receptacles big, shaped like a trumpet, and dumping in your tithe. 
So it's in this setting that we pick up in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41. I want you to follow along with me as I read. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now here's how we're going to approach this passage this morning. We're first going to talk about bad giving. What does bad giving look like? And then second, we're going to talk about good giving. And within this context, we're going to branch out and and do a little survey work to understand better what biblical tithing looks like. So let's start first with considering the bad giving in our story here. The bad giving in this story is accomplished by those who who are identified as rich people. They're not called Pharisees, although that may be true. But they're called specifically rich people. And this is where some of us in here may pull our britches up and say, I know a few people who better be listening today. So real quick, let's identify who the rich people are among us. If you have clean running water, if you have sanitation, if you have shelter, if you have a winter wardrobe and a summer wardrobe, if you have a vehicle and medication and food, and if you make more than $2 per day, you are historically and globally wealthy. We all fit the bill rich this morning in this passage. So you can take your smug card and put it in your back pocket and listen to the words of Jesus. The way these rich people were giving in this story was unimpressive to Jesus. First of all, their hearts were all wrong. They gave their tithe in order to be noticed. These trumpet-shaped receptacles in the temple, well, they made money, a clanging noise, whenever a gift was given, when the coins went in. And the more coins that went in, the more clanging that was made. It's, if you've ever been in the Las Vegas airport, that's probably what the temple sounded like, right? Just coins and coins and noise and noise. And, and the more noise, the more attention you would draw to yourself. Their hearts were all wrong in this. They didn't give out of their love of God, but they gave out of their love for themselves. They make the noise to draw attention to themselves. The second thing that's wrong with their giving is their amount was all wrong. Jesus said they gave out of their wealth. So while it may have been an impressive amount of money they gave, especially compared to the amount given by the widow, they still got the amount all wrong. You see, the widow gave proportionately much, much more than these wealthy people did. There's no comparison to be had there. She was all in. They gave a bare minimum to meet the law to get by. You know, it's entirely possible for us to approach the subject of tithing with a wicked heart. 
And there's a greater variety of heart issues related to our money than is just given in this story. We might be like the rich people in this story. Our heart might say, I need to make sure people know how much I give. Or your heart might say, you know what? I earned it. I keep it. This is mine. Our heart might say, well, I'll give when I can afford to give. Your heart might say, I'm going to give so that God will do good for me. Look, our use of our money reveals the true condition of our hearts. Now, the source of some of our erroneous thinking as it pertains to giving is unfortunately the church. And I want us to take a few moments this morning to critically evaluate the church's traditional teaching on tithing. What is the church's traditional teaching on tithing? Well, the traditional view of tithing is this. It's that believers should give 10% of their income to the church. After all, the word tithe means tenth. So when you talk about giving a tithe, you're literally, whether you know it or not, you're saying, I'm going to give a tenth. And our traditional thinking is that this tenth is the first gift you give out of your income. It's called first fruits giving. And so before you pay rent, before you buy medication, before you buy groceries, you give that tenth to the church. Now, if you're new to our church, or if you're just new to Baptist land in general, you may not know this, that our church has only one stream of income. Every penny our church has comes from our worshipers. We don't have some mothership that's giving us money from afar off. We don't have a diocese that's pumping funds into us. We are on an island unto ourselves. And it's okay. We make the rules and we play with our own toys and (laughs) we go forward together. So we have just this one income stream for us. And South Shore Baptist Church, since the first day of her existence, has been blessed by members who took serious this traditional view of tithing. Now, there are some things that the traditional view of tithing gets right. First of all, it treats giving as an act of worship. That's exactly right. It is not a bill to be paid. It is a gift to be given to the Lord. This traditional view also acknowledges that our money is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He he has the complete and total say over every area of our lives, especially our finances. Third, this view of tithing treats kingdom giving as a joyful priority in one's life. When you talk to men and women who have lived this way for years, they don't speak of it as burden, but as a, a wonderful privilege. Also, this view of tithing views the work of the local church as a priority that is worthy of our investment. Men and women who give this way traditionally have, seen, have been proud of their local churches and see their gifts to the local church as impacting the kingdom of God. So while there are many things we could look at this traditional view of tithing and say, this is admirable, this is good, this view is not without its problems. And chief among the issues with the traditional view of tithing is its strong lack of biblical support. So what does the Bible say about tithing? Well, in short, the Bible says a lot about tithing, but it does not give us a very clear picture of how tithing was practiced in ancient Israel. 
I think for so many of us, we have this idea that the tenth was given. The way we practice it is just a Christianized version of what ancient Israel did. And that's just not true upon an examination of the biblical texts. There's so much Old Testament and New Testament that pertains to this. We're going to take a big bite out of a very small perspective. And so how did ancient Israel tithe? Well, in ancient Israel, tithing was done multiple times a year, and giving was 10% of your harvest or your livestock. So everything connected to Israel's land, cows and crops, those things were tithed. And no other streams of income or sources of income were subject to the Mosaic law on tithing. So the average ancient Jewish individual was subject to at least two and as many as three different tithes. And so they would give on a yearly basis 20% or even as much as 30% of their income. How's that the case? If it's a tithe and tithe means tenth, how are they giving 20 and 30%? Because every time a tithe was called for, 10% was given. You didn't separate your 10% between two different offerings or three different offerings. Every time the tithe came, it was 10%. So there were three different tithes that were followed in ancient Israel. Uh, The first one is called the Levitical tithe. It's described in Numbers chapter 18. And the Levites are the tribe of God's people who were set aside to work the tabernacle, the temple, to be priests for God's people. And so because of that work, they were not able to own land, and it was given to the rest of the tribes of Israel to meet the needs of the Levites. The Levitical tithe was a 10% tithe that was taken every year. A second tithe was called the festival tithe. It's described in Deuteronomy chapter 14. This was also a yearly tithe, and the festival tithe was used in conjunction with celebrating Israel's big festivals, the festival of Passover, Tabernacles, and Pentecost. And so again, both crops and cattle are referenced in this tithe. The third tithe, there's a bit of debate about this, but the third tithe, also described in Deuteronomy 14, is called the charity tithe. And this tithe was taken every three years, and it went towards care for the Levites, those priests, as well as orphans, widows, and foreigners living among God's people. Tithing in Israel followed a seven-year schedule, and it looked like this. In years one and two, you would give the Levitical tithe and the festival tithe. Both of those years, that's 20% of your crops and your cows. The third year, you would give Levitical tithe festival tithe, and charity tithe. That's upwards of 30% of crops and cattle. Then the cycle starts over again. Years four and five, it's just Levitical tithe, festival tithe. Year six, all three of them again. And then year seven was a sabbatical year, and no tithes were given during that year. So on a regular basis, Israelites are giving way more than 10%, 20, even upwards of 30%. Uh, And it gets far more complicated from there. You see, the tithe was restricted, again, to livestock and your harvest. And while Israel was indeed an agricultural society, not everyone was explicitly farming. For example, if you were a fisherman, 
your catch of fish was not subject to the tithe. Only your cows, only your crops. That's it. So it's a complicated matter there. And then even when it comes to tithing on your cows, this was not cut and dry. Uh, In Leviticus chapter 27, it says, every tenth animal is holy to the Lord. So if you have ten cows... You line them up, you start counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Number 10 goes to the Lord. If you have 19 cows, you count 1 through 9. Number 10 goes, you count 11 through 19, and you're good. If you had a 20th cow, you would give that one. So really, your tithe on your livestock is not 10%. It's more like 5%. So how much... Did ancient Israel really give under the Mosaic law in their tithing? No one really knows. It is such a complicated and messy matter. But what's happened with so many preachers is that we have imposed our traditional view of tithing onto Scripture. And in doing so, we've not represented Scripture fairly. A favorite passage for many preachers when it comes to tithing is Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. You might be familiar with this. In this passage, God accuses Israel of robbing him by not paying the Levitical tithe. And it's because they are robbing God that Israel is under a curse. And so God promises blessings to them if they will bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So what many preachers have done is we've said that Malachi 3 is God speaking in regards to tithing as you and I think of tithing. That when he says bring in the whole tithe, he means all 10%. And when he says to bring it into the storehouse, then the word storehouse is used as a metaphor for the local church. And so then if you don't give the tithe you've been told you're going to be cursed by God. And if you do give the tithe, you've been told you'll be blessed by God. A few years ago, I got a chuckle. There's a mega church in South Carolina that was teaching its congregation about tithing. And so when everyone showed up to church on this particular Sunday, every single person received a little Ziploc bag that had a $1 bill and a dime in it. A $1 bill and a dime. And the thought was, we're, we're going, this church said, we're going to teach our people how to give and what 10% looks like. And so we're going to give everyone a dollar, and then 10% of a dollar is a dime, and so then you put the dime in the offering plate and you keep the dollar. And it's true that 10% of one dollar is a dime, but here's the problem. These people were given a dollar and 10 cents. And 10% of $1.10 is not 10 cents, it is 11 cents. So if Malachi chapter 3 and the curse spoken of there is literally transferable to the New Testament church today, that entire congregation was condemned by her leadership on that Sunday. They missed it by a penny. That's not the whole tithe in the storehouse. Did you know that... uh, My undergrad ministry degree did not require a single math class. (laughs) I could have worked at that church. So the problem here is that Malachi chapter 3 is not a reference to our traditional understanding of tithing. 
right? But it's a reference to the Levitical tithe. Storehouse does not mean local church. Storehouse means barn, where actual grain was kept. And, and while Malachi 3 is vitally important for our understanding of God, its primary usefulness to us is not an understanding of tithing. Rather, Malachi 3 will rock your socks with a picture of God's grace to his people as well as a picture of God's serious, seriousness about our covenant faithfulness. So, what I've done so far is I've included our traditional understanding of tithing under the banner of, forgive me, bad giving. Now, let's be careful here. This is the model that I learned in church. It's the model that I've followed throughout my life, and so many of you have followed also. So I'm not saying that we're bad people for giving according to this model, nor am I questioning your motives uh, if that's the way you've given. What's more, I'm not even equating us with the hypocrites of Mark chapter 12. I'm simply saying there is a more biblically faithful paradigm to follow when it comes to our financial giving to the church. So let's go back to our passage. We've talked about bad giving. Let's look now at what good giving looks like in the story. I love the detail that Mark gives us in verse 43. After the poor widow gives her two coins, Jesus called the disciples to him. Hey, guys, come here. Check this out. Come look. Look over there. Do you see what I see? And they would say, oh, wow, that's a lot of rich people, and they're giving a lot of money. That's a lot of trumpet receptacle clanging going on over there. Jesus would say, no, 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 that's not the big deal. Look at the woman. Oh, the the poor widow, yes. Did, did she get in their way or something? Jesus, what's the issue there? You daughters, you're so blind. Do you not see what I see? This woman has given everything. She put everything in. Out of her poverty, she gave. Jesus uses this woman as an example among all these wealthy people and all these religious people. Her giving was so different. She gave out of her poverty, put in everything she possessed. She's an example of a person Jesus spoke of earlier in chapter 12. So I want you to scroll up with me, chapter 12 to verse 28. This woman is an example of a person Jesus spoke of in chapter 12, starting in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came to Jesus Heard them debating. Notice that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This poor widow is the one in this chapter who obeys the greatest commandment. Everything she has is given out of love for the Lord. And this is the kind of people that you and I are to be. God is pleased with the one who gives the way the widow gave. The truth is this. We could emphasize a traditional view of tithing, and we could, all of us, give a literal 10% 
to this church. And if we did that, this church would have more money than we ever dreamed of. But without love, what a pitiful church we would be. You know what's better than a rich church? A church that loves the Lord. Do you know where power lies? It is not in a checking account. It is in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It would be such a tragedy to have all the money and none of the Lord. And you do not have to drive far in this part of the country to pass cavernous sanctuaries whose bank accounts remain flush while souls remain empty. The rich people in this story have money as their treasure. But the poor woman has God as her treasure. In other words, the rich people are so poor, all they have is money. Their gifts, whatever percentage they were, were of no value to God. Because biblical tithing is not about giving a minimum to buy off God or to exalt our name or to keep from giving our hearts. Tithing is about whole heart surrender. So how then should we tithe? Get to it, Busby. How much do you want? I know what you're thinking. But it's a tricky question. This widow, she gave two coins. Pharisees gave a tenth, even of their spices. Zacchaeus gave half. The rich man was asked to give all he had in Mark 10. The early church shared everything in common in Acts chapter 2. Barnabas sold a field in Acts chapter 4. The disciples left their boats and nets in Mark chapter 1. You see, Christianity is just not very formulaic. We can't simply determine how much we give by using a calculator, but God's Word does not leave us without guidance. So I want to share with you very briefly four principles that will help us give in an exemplary way, four ways we can give as an expression of our love for Christ. How should you think about giving? Now that we've said, I've said, the traditional approach leaves us lacking in some areas. What then should we do? First of all, our giving should be proportionate giving proportionate giving. It should be proportionate to my income. There are multiple passages in Scripture, Old Testament as well as New, where proportionate giving was the expectation. It's tough for us to find that place where a simple cold tenth was what was required of God's people. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, Moses commanded that every man who appeared before the Lord during the three main festivals should give an amount according to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. It's proportionate giving. Paul speaks about this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In those offerings he's taking up to help the famine-stricken church in Jerusalem, he encourages Christians to give proportionate to their income. The regular pattern through Scripture is proportionate giving. The thought is this, the greater one has been blessed, the more you ought to pray about giving. And those of meager means are by no means without a gift to give. But there are some of those who are on fixed incomes or who of no fault of their own are in certain situations, perhaps an influx of medical bills or some other situation has come up, so that just a cold tenth will not cut it. If you have a choice to make between buying your medication or giving your tithe, 
by your medication. The Lord gives us wisdom in this. And the Lord gives us grace in this. This is not a matter of legalistic obedience. We give proportionately to our incomes. For some people, 10% is too much. And for others, 10% may not be enough. Second principle that will guide us in our giving, consider the needs of the church and the work of the church. When you're praying about what you should give and how you should give, consider the needs of the church and the work of the church. Paul says repeatedly in his letters that worshipers in a local church are to give to meet the administrative needs of that church. Specifically, he speaks about caring for the shepherds in the church. And so one reason I give to our church is because I want my kids to have the best possible experience in our children's ministry and in our youth ministry. And I want my family to have the best possible experience in our worship times and in our group ministries. And I I want our church to flourish. That's why it's a joy for me and my wife to give to our church. Also, we give to support the work of the church. I believe in the mission of South Shore Baptist Church to spread the gospel here on the South Shore and to the nations beyond. I believe in what we're doing here, and this is why a portion of every paycheck goes to our church so that the mission of the church can go forward. I want you to consider that as well. We've got a mission to accomplish. We leverage our resources together, and we're able to do creative things in spreading the gospel. Our membership covenant in our church includes the following sentence. It says, We will cheerfully give of our talents, our spiritual gifts, and finances to the work of this church, the relief of the poor among us, and the spread of the gospel on the south shore into the ends of the earth. So when you're praying about what to give, consider the needs of the church and the work of the church. Third, quickly, give generously, but not to the point of personal affliction. There is wisdom to be applied in our generosity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul tells the church at Corinth, he doesn't want to take a gift from a church and create a hardship in the process. So sacrificial giving, generous giving, is right, but it must be tempered with wisdom. Many times you may have heard preachers say things like, you can't outgive God. As a way, I, I don't know what the motivation is there. I, I think it's true. Yeah, God has already proven that in the gift of Jesus Christ. But wisdom must be applied to our generosity as we walk in obedience with the Lord in every area of our stewardship. Fourth principle, your amount given should be spirit-led. should be spirit-led. No pastor can dictate for you the amount that you should give in your tithe. The Holy Spirit of God should lead you in this. In Exodus chapter 25, God tells Moses to raise a contribution from the people of Israel in order to build a sanctuary. And he's supposed to take the gifts from those whose hearts are willing. They have a willing heart in this endeavor. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul tells his audience that a Christian should give as he has decided in his heart. And so a heart that chooses the things of God is led by the Holy Spirit. It's in your pursuit of God that he will guide you to the right amount, the right schedule for giving generously, wisely, and cheerfully. So we've covered a lot of ground this morning. You've you've done well to hang in there. Mark 12 is, I think, a vital passage, verses 41 through 44. 
And in it, Jesus shows us that there is a right way to give and there is a wrong way to give. And from there, we've put biblical flesh around this idea, the practice of tithing. We want to give in a way that is proportionate to our income. We want to consider our church. We want to give generously, but not to the point of personal affliction. And our amount given should be spirit-led. But none of this matters. Not one bit of it matters if we don't first give ourselves to Jesus. One of our most precious Bible verses is all about giving. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave. He loves you, and the evidence of His love for you is that He gave His one and only Son. He gave His one and only Son to die in your place for all the sin in your life. Jesus was God in the flesh, and he died in your place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and he promises that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. In him is hope and peace and forgiveness and eternity. So this morning, your starting point may not have anything to do with your wallet. It may have everything to do with your heart. Many of you here have already turned to Jesus in faith for your salvation. And today is an opportunity to turn to him in faith with your finances. Your money talks. Our money talks. It's possible our money came in here this morning with an embarrassing story to tell But I pray our money leaves here today telling a hopeful story. May we be the kind of Christians who love the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our stuff. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, thank you for all you have given And you have given to us abundantly, supremely, beyond what we can comprehend. But here's what we can comprehend. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you for so great a salvation as this. I pray this morning that in the midst of this talk on this type of topic, that Lord, you would have drawn people to you closer in faith. Awaken their hearts today. And Father, I thank you for our church and your generosity towards us. Everything we have here, everything we claim as part of South Shore Baptist Church is a gift from you. It's not one thing we have in here that we've done ourselves on our own apart from your gracious blessing. And everything that we have that is ours, our name's on the title, we are the owner. Everything that we possess, Lord, it's all been given through your gracious generosity. We thank you for it. Lord, help us to love you with our stuff, to be generous people, generous towards the mission of the church, to be wise and prudent in our giving. And Lord, though not many people will see what we spend and how we spend or what we give and how we give, let there be no mistake that our hearts belong to you, we love you, and let that be evidence in the way we give. So Lord, thank you for freeing us from the idol of money. Thank you for freeing us from the death it brings. Thank you for giving us life, a treasure in heaven, 
Thank you for letting us use our stuff as leverage for the kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.